0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God hates Esau. Those are very strong words. What does this mean? Is God angry with Esau? Is this some emotional reaction? Or perhaps is this saying that God has decided to condemn Esau to hell? Is this God predestining Esau to the eternal condemnation of his enemies to punishment and everlasting destruction? In order to understand how Scripture uses this word hate, let us look at a few other places this word appears. The Greek word here in Romans is missio, and the Hebrew word in Malachi, which is quoted here by Paul, is sane. If we look at Genesis 29, verses 30 to 33, we will see this Hebrew word used in the context of the relationship between Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. See that Jacob hated Leah? His actions, though, do not comport with what you and I would associate with the word hate. We think of hate as actively trying to destroy, harm, or ruin. The Merriam-Webster dictionary defines hate as to have a strong aversion or to express or feel extreme enmity or active hostility. On the more mild side, to find very distasteful. So, does this describe Jacob's actions? Or have we lost something in our English translation? Well, let us remember that Jacob did not intend to marry Leah. He was tricked into marrying Leah by his uncle and father-in-law. He had worked seven years for the right to marry Rachel. When it came to his wedding day, following the wedding feast, his uncle brought Leah to Jacob instead of Rachel. It was evening, and for whatever reason, perhaps the dim lights... Maybe if there was some wine consumption, Jacob did not realize that he had been tricked. In the morning, he realizes that he married Leah. He confronts his uncle Laban and his uncle gives an explanation about how the younger daughter cannot be married before the older daughter and promises that he can marry Rachel in one week if he'll commit to serving Laban another seven years. Now, if Jacob was actively hostile to Leah, would he have accepted this arrangement? Why would he continue his marriage with her? Why would he have had six sons with her? If he truly hated her, would he not have sent her away or denied her the chance to have children? Is not the explanation of what missio and sane means more Clear or made clear in verse 30, where God's word reveals that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah? In other words, rather than hating her, does not God's word show that he loved her less? One theologian and scholar, Dr. Minendorf, puts forward the argument to use the word spurn instead of hate. Rather than being hostile, he did not favor her, but treated her as a second-rate wife. There was contempt shown for her as his wife, putting her needs last. He did not reject her as his wife, but he did reject the notion that he should regard her the same as he regarded Rachel. In other words, he paid more attention and showered more affection and care upon Rachel than Leah But he still provided for Leah and cared for her. He still fulfilled his husbandly duties. But Leah got less of that husbandly care and time than Rachel. What she did not get was Jacob trying to harm or destroy her. And this brings us back to God loving Jacob but hating Esau. God did not want to destroy Esau. Rather, God chose to favor Jacob over Esau. He chose Jacob's family to have the Savior and to be his chosen people to whom the blessings Paul listed in Romans were given. They were adopted as his children over Esau and Abraham's other son, Ishmael. But it was not like God denied salvation or deliverance to Esau and Ishmael and their descendants. It was not like God forsook them or failed to provide them rain. In fact, Scripture shows he blessed them and their descendants. But not in the same way or as much as he blessed Jacob and his descendants. Just as you provide for your own children above and first, before you would help or provide for someone else's children, so God looked his favor upon his adopted people, his children, and acted for their benefit first and foremost, and then provided also for all other people. His favor was also shown in the other blessings that the people of Israel had. They witnessed many different appearances of God's glory throughout their history. They received several covenants, from the one given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the one at Sinai, Moab, Ebal, and Gerizim, as well as the promise given to David. The Israelites had the blessing of the law from the commandments that guided them in the truth to the revelations of God and His grace and mercy. In addition, they had the worship at the temple where God would meet with them and forgive their sins and the promises given to Abraham that they received. Also, they were descendants of the patriarchs and had the honor of having them in their family. On top of this, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the entire universe was from their family and people. Jesus was born from? and among the Israelites, a son of David, at least according to the flesh. This was the honor of being an Israelite according to the flesh. This was their blessing and graciously given favor from God. These promises did not fail the Israelites. They received them as God promised, and yet Paul says that not all Israel belonged To Israel. In other words, some of the blood descendants of Abraham rejected the promise. They forfeited their birthright. They had God's blessings, but they did not look to God's word and promise. Instead, looked elsewhere. Paul makes it clear, though, that the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Romans 9 8. He cites Isaac and Jacob as examples of this. It was not merely the blood descendants of Abraham and Isaac. Otherwise, Ishmael and Esau would have had the same blessings. Though the blessing was given by God's promise. And this is the key point that Paul is making. The Israelites are not blessed merely by their blood relationship to Abraham. They're blessed by God's promise. To Abraham. A promise extended especially to them as Abraham's descendants, but a promise not attained by blood nor by works. For Jacob was chosen even before his birth to have the Messiah in his family line, and Esau was rejected for this purpose, even though they both had the same father and mother. As we look at all these accounts in the Old Testament, we see how God acts. He is gracious, calling whom he calls. It begins with God and not with us. God is the one acting and bringing all this about. He is bringing our salvation and deliverance to fruition. He has been working this way from the beginning, choosing whom he willed to call without any merit or worthiness on our part. And this is God's purpose and choice to extend grace and mercy to people through his call, through his word, through his promise spoken and given unto man. God's word did not fail. He did exactly what he said and promised he would do. He fulfilled his promise to Abraham and brought forth his seed, the promised Messiah, born of the flesh and bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David. Thus, you can see that God's word did not fail just because some Israelites will not be saved. These blood descendants have rejected their place in honor and favor of God. Just because they have turned their back on God's gracious choice of them does not mean that God's word and promise have failed. Rather, what God chose and promised, He enacted regardless of what Israel did or would do. In other words, it did not depend in any way on man or his works. It all depended on God and his call. And this is the heart of the matter and the revelation of how God works. As Romans 4.17 revealed, our God is the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is how God has operated from the beginning of creation. God created this world and everything in it by speaking and calling forth the world from nothing. He created the material and matter of this world. And He created order and structure, a world with plants, animals, and people, even though such never had been before. God created and brought forth life and life and everything else in creation by His Word, by His call that it should be, that it should exist. Our hope and confidence then lies in this very fact, the very nature of who God is. He is the gracious God who created out of nothing what now is. He is the gracious God who created out of nothing a solution for our sin. He's the gracious God who called his son to go forth and die for you and me. God acted for us. for The Jews first, and then the Gentiles. God died on the cross. Sacrificed for all people, for you. He suffered and he shed his blood for you. All this by his choice. For he decided to act to bring salvation where there was none. Here is his gracious solution and action. For this is who he is. And this salvation he has delivered to you. He has called you. So dispense with any notions of your family bloodline. Your heritage, whether Jew, German, Lutheran, LCMS, or any other quality or aspect about who you are or from where you came. Do not account anything about you or your works, how you have lived or what you have done. Do not even account your faith to yourself or make it about you. For it's not about you or me. It's about who God is. Everything hangs on him and his promises. Everything depends on his action and his call. He is the one who acts. Thankfully for you and me, he has acted for us. In fact, he has acted for the whole world. For in his grace and mercy, he gave and enacted salvation for all people at the cross. And with his resurrection, brought about the redemption of our bodies from death's grasp. By God's gracious action and call, he made you a child of promise. One of his very own adopted children through baptism. For in those waters, he made you who were not his own and who had no righteousness to be righteous and to belong to him as his very own children and family. By grace he acted to claim you, and by grace and his mercy he continues to feed you, even at his table here, where he pours out his grace and mercy, calling you who are unclean and evil to be holy and godly. And by that call, making you to be exactly as He spoke and promised. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in grace, Jesus, our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.